Welcome to the latest episode of Take Eating Back. Super excited. I've got my buddy Danny coming on this podcast talking about all things. It was probably my most varied and diverse podcast. We dove into everything from training for a competitive athlete to sobriety to tattoos to running a box and so much more. Danny, owner of CrossFit Soul, huge comp competitor himself, runs competitions, heading over to Wadapalooza this weekend. He's going to be a guest speaker. He's going to be coaching athletes. An amazing dude. And before I get to that interview, I've got the lovely Roz sitting here with me. Good morning. Good morning. She, good morning because she literally, I just <laughs> dragged her out of bed. The coffee's not even done steeping yeah, yet. He so, wants me to talk. And I want her to talk. But people have given us tremendous feedback before interviews. I always like to have a little bit of a chat with with Roz, we've got a big weekend coming up. Yeah. Engagement parties. Yeah. I'm parties. Excited. You're excited? <laughs> yeah, not just one. I'm not Several. excited. My mom's already telling us we got to come over for breakfast. <laughs> we got this and that. So it's a macro nightmare. <laughs> I, I think you know I had a few interesting things I want to talk about, but a lot of people listening to this are entrepreneurs, mm-hmm. meaning, and I don't think you need to own your own business to be an entrepreneur. I think that's a antiquated definition of entrepreneurship but basically entrepreneurial mindset would imply you have decided to take control of your life Mm. you know typically in the financial sense but you can have a desk job and still be an entrepreneur you know whether it's coaching crossfit on the side or you know selling one of those products you know pyramid scheme type things whatever it is (laughs) but you know you have that mindset of hey i'm going to take control you and i happen to be entrepreneurs in the fact that you know, while we don't, you know, we kind of work for people, but we don't, mm-hmm. you know, sure, you know, we might get checks from somebody, but at the same time, we decide what hours we're showing up, we decide what we're going to wear, we decide if we want to go in today. Mm-hmm. And because of that, and I hope some people listening will, this will make sense when I say it, people don't think we have jobs. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Most specifically, I'm referring to my mother. <laughs> But, you know, whether it's my mom or someone listening's friend or significant other, what what has that been like for you? You come from the real world. You were, you know, in, in practicing law back mm-hmm. in England and then in Cayman. Yeah. So, obviously, while living in the States right now, you can't work regardless. But, you know, in, in the past, what has that meant for you when you, you know, your mom's like, what is, what are you doing? You don't, you know, you don't even have a job. Yeah, it's funny. Um. I remember her asking me at the end of the day, so what did you do today? (laughs) Like trying to figure out how I've spent the 12 hours that she's been at the office. And I'm like, do you want me to write you a list of like every little thing I accomplished today? Because I did a lot. (laughs) And, you know, and especially our parents' generation and my mom's 60, your mom's in her 50s. Yeah. They don't understand that so much happens virtually and online. They're so used to, hey, you have to go to an office or go somewhere. And, you know, to be quite honest, my mom is somewhat of an entrepreneur. You know, she tutors kids, which is her own business. My father owned his own business, and even he doesn't get it. Because I even think back then business ownership is different than it is in this day and age. Mm. You know, you and I literally... Some days it'll be four or five in the afternoon. It's like we haven't left the kitchen, mm-hmm. but we both, you know, grinded away. Whether you know, you might just be working on your blog, mm-hmm. and I might be talking to some clients. But the point is, how can we 
how do you get other people to understand that you do you do work and you are trying to make a living? Um, I think it's hard, and I I don't think you can really necessarily change other people's opinions of that or try to. Help me change my mom's opinion. I, I, I don't know how to. She will, show up, <laughs> she will show up here no matter what we're doing and just hang out. I'm like, Mom, I'm on a call. Like, I'm literally <laughs> on a call. She's like, oh, it's okay. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know that that will ever change. Who knows? Maybe, uh, maybe when we start buying stuff for her on a regular basis, <laughs> she'll think, well, Jay must have money coming in from somewhere. Right. It doesn't help that she still buys those groceries. So. <laughs> but, you know, the other aspect to this that I wanted to touch on is I, had, I got an email from someone who, I don't know, one of the videos I put up or you put up rang true. It's like, hey, I need to make a change. I'm sitting at my desk at this job I don't love, you know, don't even like. Mm-hmm. And I said, you know, I responded to it. I was like, there's never going to be a right time. You know, the clouds are never going to miraculous, miraculously split open and a rainbow appears. So how do you encourage someone who is stuck in that nine to five routine to actually make a change? It's, it's hard. It's really hard. Um, and I think you do have to be a bit sensible about it and make sure you have a plan in place and that you can support yourself or that you have others around you who can support you. But I think most of all, you have to believe in yourself and make that step and be confident that, you know, that the change is what you need to do. Um, and as long as you do, you know, that change is in line with what you really value in life and your passions, then you can be confident that you're doing the right thing. When it gets to that point, I think, with people where the longer you don't make the change, the likelihood of well, making the, that change... The harder it gets, yeah. yeah. And not just because you get deeper into a job, but because, you know, you take a desk job at 22, 24 out of college... You don't have a lot of bills, but then somewhere along the line, maybe you meet someone. Then somewhere along the line, maybe you have a family. And it's like the more of these financial obligations you start to incur, the less likely you are to take that risk. Precisely. So, you know, like I said, this woman that was emailing me, and she's just like, I'm stuck in this place I don't want to be because of this job because I'm not willing to. Well, Mm -hmm. you know, at some point you have to. And there's plenty of ways you can make money, you know, to cover expenses to cover whatever you need you just have to be willing to try exactly and I think that's that's the key as well actually in that knowing that you will make this change and that you could potentially fail but being okay with that you 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 know at least you've tried at least you can look back and tell yourself I tried to get out of that sucky job Try to make a go of it. Didn't work out, but I had another. I had a sucky job I could go back to. So what's the big deal? At least you tried. But that's the downside. The bright side is that hey, it could work out. And I think you know, generally speaking, when you're doing something you're passionate about, you will find a way to make it work. I agree, and you know, my butt was going to be the more of a safety net you have, the less likely you are to succeed. If you leave your sucky job with the understanding, I can always come back to this, I don't think you'll work hard enough to not come back to this. Mm, That's interesting. You need to have that fear of eating ramen noodles every day. (laughs) You know, and I think... A little bit of fear definitely helps. I think that's part of why my drive is so strong, because I was doing that. You know, Mm -hmm. living 
you know, I tell my story of like living in a basement apartment in the ghetto of Albany next to, you know, a cross-dressing overweight male that would come to my door and freak me out <laughs> eating, you know, mac and cheese and ramen noodles. And although I do that again now, but it sounds like one of your crazy dreams. No, this was reality. And it's like, you know, not knowing I don't want to do that and work 20 hours a day is what allows me to work so hard. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, so I think getting rid of that safety net actually would help you be more successful. Hmm. What's entrepreneurial or entrepreneurial shit mean to you? Last question. To me? What does it mean to you? Yeah, I think it means, I like the way that you described it. And I think having that freedom and flexibility to live your day that, you know, makes you feel good and happy and feel accomplished then that's what it's all about. Not having to check in at nine and check out at five. Ugh, don't let me ever do that again. (laughs) Well, I love it. And, you know, speaking of checking in, checking out, and getting those nine to five, real quickly, talk to me about sleep. Because since you've been here... (laughs) I've slept like that. You've slept really well, and we sleep on our RemFit bed, brought to us by my buddy Kevin over at RemFit. How has that been for you versus the sleep you were getting prior to moving in with me? Now, obviously, there's some other factors involved when you sleep next to this guy. <laughs> well, Jay, but, I, I hate to break it to you. The reason I said yes, I am currently getting the best sleep of my life. <laughs> hey, I'll take it. I'll take it. So so you're saying the only reason we're, we're getting married is because of your sleep pattern. Well, Kevin. I think it's significant yeah you're happier you're happier well kevin over at renfit i thank you for that but um you enjoy the bed oh my god you enjoy the pillows yeah you enjoy the covers oh yeah well if you want to sleep as well as roz and you're not sleeping next to me because i don't think roz would <laughs> that definitely <appro-> helps <laughs> but i don't think she'd approve of it maybe a couple of the guys but check out renfit renfit.com and use the code ackerman that's my last name 15, A-C-K-E-R-M-A-N-1-5, and you'll get 15% off, and you too can sleep as well as my fiance Roz does. So, like I said, coming up next, my buddy Danny from CrossFit Soul, diving into all topics. You're not going to want to miss this. One amazing dude, quite a story, and he's so passionate about fitness, health, and most importantly, helping others. Check him out. He's running things the right way. He's doing his box the right way. And if you own a box or you're thinking about owning a box or you have a friend that wants to open a box, this podcast is for you. So coming up next on Take Eating Back, my interview with Danny Lopez. All right, here with Danny. You have like three last names. So is it Danny Lopez? Yeah, that's pretty much what people call me. My full last name is Lopez Calleja, but... It's just easier to call me Danny Lopez. Yeah, I was like, I don't, you know, and then in different areas on the internet, you have different, you know, you're Danny Soul, Danny Lopez, Danny, <laughs> so I was like, okay. Yeah. All right, so Danny Lopez, quick intro would be owner of CrossFit Soul in Miami. Mm-hmm. Uh, very strong dude, super strong dude. Um, trains, you got a great team. Have you taken a team to the games before? Yeah, this past year. Took a team, so this past, so... Like 2016 season? Correct. Wow. So in the era of CrossFit where it's really fucking hard to take a team to the game. So not like yeah. 
not to take anything away from 2008, 2009, but you got some serious athletes going on. You train, I see a boatload of Olympic weightlifting going on. You train, I know Leah these days, uh, an old friend of mine, Elizabeth Bland. Who else do you train that uh, people might know of? Um, we have a young guy, his name's Javi. He just competed at University Worlds. He's a 105 plus lifter. Um, several university national lifters, American Open lifters, uh, national championship lifters, uh, so on and so forth. So we have a lot of weightlifters and a lot of crossfitters that qualify for national meets that are very good at weightlifting as well. And you, I saw your, you hit a complex, at least you posted it yesterday, it's like 275. With it's a, 280. Oh, sorry, was... 280. Yeah, <laughs> it was like it popped up, Roz, the fiance and I were watching it at like the same exact time, like our mouths wide open, we were like, holy shit. So that's a, uh, you're strong yourself. Oh, and you might not know this about me, the woman that I'm engaged to, we met at your box. Really? You did not know that. It was at a level one you hosted, uh, November of last year, we met. Oh, wow, dude. I did no, not know that. That's we, cool. um, you know, it was in passing, you know, at a level one, but then from there, so pretty crazy that it started at CrossFit Soul. There you go, man. That's cool. So you have your own podcast also if people want to check it out. what What is that and where can they find it? Uh, it's the Team Soul Podcast. It's, uh, you can find it on, on SoundCloud or on iTunes. So Team Soul Podcast. Marshall wants to know what the complex was that you hit 280. Uh, power clean, push press, and jerk. Power clean, push press, and jerk. So if you can do any of those movements at 280, Marshall, you're strong. If you can do all three, you're extremely strong. Yeah, that push press was gnarly, man. That was not easy. <laughs> and then you're so fatigued going into that jerk probably after that push yeah. press. Yeah, yeah, man. That was not easy at all. So when did CrossFit Soul open? CrossFit Soul opened in very early 2010. So, you know, kind of maybe I would consider that the second generation of boxes, maybe. You know, still old school, but, yeah. you know, I opened in 07, so a little bit after that. And yeah. if you've never been to CrossFit Soul, it's got this amazing, like, I'd call it like an artistic vibe. Is that what you mm -hmm. would, you know, you have a, what would you call the, um, there's a style that goes on there. Yeah, I mean, it's it's definitely artistic. So our background before CrossFit was like punk rock, skating, graffiti, that kind of world. So, you know, we wanted to create an environment where we felt comfortable spending our day in and spending all of our time and, and, and you know, being at like weird punk rock venues and skate parks and stuff like that is, is, is where we grew up. So we tried to like, it wasn't really, like, a branding thing. We didn't go out of our way to do anything special. It just came natural. We're like, yo, let's just make our gym look like a record store. Let's make our gym look like a, a skate park, you know? So that's kind of how our gym looks like. Yeah, I, I, some would say artistic. To me, we what we do go out of our way to do is to give, is to make sure our gym keeps that, like, garage feel, you know? I, I don't want to have a nice gym. To be honest, I wanna. I, for me, CrossFit was made in the garage, and that's where it's gonna stay. So it's funny. I was talking to some members at a box I was coaching at last night. Have you heard of that new box? I think it's called D Town. No. It's in Dallas, and it's like a luxury, like crazy amenities, all that stuff. And it's you see the direction, but 
yeah, I'm on board. It's like why well, I love training in my garage. If I'm not yeah. dirty when I'm done working out, I'm not happy with it. Like, I've been to gyms that have all the amenities, and that's cool. I have some close friends that own them. And, and what I always tell clients when they come to the gym is like, look, everyone is going to have the gym where they belong, you know? Not, not everyone's going to like what we have going on at Seoul, and just like not everyone's going to like what the other guy has going on down the street. So um, I, I, I think everyone has the vibe and just the environment where they belong. And for me, I know I have a lot of clients that have normal 9-to-5 jobs, and the last thing they want to come out to to a gym is to, like, be catered hand and foot, but they want to, like, get dirty. They want to... They want to do something that makes them feel intense. They want to get out of, like, the normal cookie-cutter environment, and, and that's what we try to provide. I love it. Well, yeah. a, a big reason I wanted to have you on is I like to take this podcast and kind of get deeper into things, and your backstory, and I don't know it very well, so fill us in, but you are, I think the right word would be sober. Is that the right word? Yeah, I mean, I, I would say in recovery or whatever, I didn't really drink a lot of alcohol when I was using, so the word sobriety is kind of weird, but, um, you know, I'm clean, I'm a recovering addict, whatever. Clean, recovering, whatever it is. How long has that been? Uh, it'll be 12 years in February. Well, A, that's really awesome. You know, I've, I, I think since being involved in CrossFit, and I do a lot of jiu-jitsu as well, I see a lot of people with similar stories, you know, typically alcohol, but... I think both of those sports lend themselves to these people that are leaving one unhealthy addiction and kind of hopping on another. So we don't need, you know, your whole story. Clearly you did some crazy shit. I'm sure if you're no longer doing, you know, (laughs) you know, we don't, but what has CrossFit meant to that as far as recovery? Because I think this can be a great, You've probably told your story numerous times. I've had other people on this podcast, like Dan Tominski, who's in recovery as well, and then a, a few mm-hmm. other people. But it's always great, you know, maybe your story will resonate with one person that can change their life. So what has that meant for you? Yeah, so um, I got clean in, in, in 2006, and almost immediately uh, just training and fitness became like a big part of my life. I... Uh, I hadn't found CrossFit just yet, but soon thereafter, um, I started working at a, at a local treatment center when I got a little bit of clean time, and a buddy of mine um, showed me the main site at the time, and at, at that time, I was already uh, working out in Lobo gyms, and, and I would go out to the park with some of my buddies, and we would run hill sprints, and I like took it upon myself to be the guy to learn about training and to show all my recovery buddies how to train. And that was the natural progression of things. When he showed me the main site, uh, uh, we would choose to omit many things out of the main site programming <laughs> and what we were doing. So like I would watch, you know, guys like Greg Amundsen and 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 Dutch and these dudes do like these gnarly kipping pull-ups and watch Steele do a hundred unbroken kipping pull-ups. And I'd be like, those fucking guys are cheating. We're not going to do kipping pull-ups. We'll, we'll do Fran with strict pull-ups. We'll do this Olympic lift. We'll mix this with that. So it was like very selective dot-com programming. Would you call it, it would be strength bias, you know, your, your strengths, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. So um, that was like really the natural progression of things. CrossFit, uh, especially like when I went to my 
having my first experience at a CrossFit gym and I learned about like what the communal sense of CrossFit was all about just gave me a, 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 a sense of community and, and just made me feel comfortable in that environment. You know, um, Like I said previously, I, I grew up in, in going to punk rock shows and going to shows in basements and, and, and record stores in basements and such. And CrossFit at the time, there were no luxury boxes when I first started in 2007, 2008, you know? Um, every gym was in a garage or was at someone's house or was in someone's backyard or was in a park. And being in those environments, I felt very comfortable. And it felt cool to be able to, like, be in that environment and do something positive with my life, which was CrossFit, you know? What? Who's the punk rock band that I that I need to check out? The punk rock band? Me, like, the uh, punk rock band. Yeah, like, you know, I'm going to throw a band out there and you're going to laugh at me because I'm not a big punk, you know. Obviously, I would I would think of things like, you know, maybe The Clash. Uh, and then I would say something like Green Day, but you might now... No, Green Day is cool. I mean, I, I, I dig older Green Day more than newer stuff, you know. Um, but who's like but, who's some stuff you would maybe like you you would you say I was going to these shows? Who would you see in Miami? You know, mid two thousands. Chromax. If anybody had to ask me, like my favorite hardcore punk rock band, I would I would I'd probably say Chromax. I've heard of them, so they're not like completely underground. No, I mean they're they're not completely underground. They're 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 singer. Uh, they're frontman John Joseph. He's like a really hardcore vegan. First of all. But um, he trains a lot. He's, he's, a, he's competed in Ironman multiple times. So you might have seen him on, like, Vites or one of those, like, underground documentary shows or something like that. He gets around a lot. What What makes something punk rock? I don't know. I mean, the, 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 the DIY or, like, the do-it-yourself nature of things is, is, is a punk rock ethic. You know, so that's something that, that we cling to very heavily at Seoul. I think the the attitude and, the, again, that, that DIY ethic is more important over the style of music that you play or that you listen to. So for me, that is like the number one foundation of punk rock for sure. So when you say DIY at CrossFit Seoul, what does that mean? I mean, you have, clearly it looks like some of that equipment, you have like a chest press machine, if I remember correctly, in the corner. Like yeah, a, we have like a whole powerlifting corner inside of our gym. Yeah, but I mean, you have a rig. You have like a nice, you know, I don't know if it's yeah. Rogue or Maverick or whatnot. But so, what does that represent at, at your box? So, like DIY in the sense of like we don't do any kind of of crazy marketing, right? We don't like advertise on on the back of a bus bench. We don't like frivolously pass out flyers. We're not going to advertise in the back of a fucking Win Dixie receipt, you know, like. Everything is self-referred and bred in the gym. Um, we are, and our branding represents that. We do everything ourselves. We don't rely on people to do things for us. It's 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 very much homemade, you know. Marshall wants to know if you're a Billy Talent fan. Billy Talent? I don't even know who that. Is. He doesn't know who that is. We made him up, Marshall. So, Pro Max is your number one punk rock band. I'm gonna listen on Spotify. Yeah, for sure. Were you ever in a band? Yeah, I've, I've, I played in several bands growing up. Um, I played in a band called All Hell Breaks Loose. It was a hardcore band in the, I guess, mid-2000s. Um, 
played in, in another band called Dead Lions uh, in the earlier 2000s. And then uh, more recently, I, 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 I did a project called Aversion with, with some guys. I feel like I've heard of that. Maybe, maybe. We played in Naples and we, we toured a little bit uh, in Florida. So. Cool. So, can... CrossFit ever become, you know, for someone that has an addictive personality, I don't know if that's a real thing, but who's had an addiction before, can CrossFit ever go too far and become unhealthy? Absolutely, absolutely. You know, like, um, you know, at at the level one, you guys talk about that continuum of, like, sick to health, sick to wellness, whatever that threshold is. You should probably know that, Danny, but that's fine. (laughs) (laughs) We, we, uh... When I talk to my guys, when I do my clinics at my gym, I, I talk to my athletes and my clients about like what the dark side of CrossFit is. And, and I do believe that there is a possibility when you teeter on this edge of trying to be an athlete and trying to qualify for the games where you're starting to push that threshold back all the way towards sickness. I absolutely think that things can become dysfunctional uh, hormonally and, and you can develop a lot of injuries if you are training outside of your means you know I, I i think to to become like a high level games athlete like a dan bailey a sam briggs one of these guys it's not just the talent but you need the time and you, your your life needs to revolve around this and, and i've come across several people who want that result but don't have all the things in place to get what it takes and and when you're trying to fit so much in such a short amount of time, absolutely, things can become sketchy for sure. So, you've dealt with this, I'm sure, as a box owner. How do you respond, or how do you handle it? So many people want to go to the games, you know, quote-unquote, quote, quote, I want to go to the CrossFit Games, regionals, and you know damn well they don't have a chance. Yeah. So, how do you handle someone like that, whether it's new to your box or someone at your box just simply... You know, someone's spending three hours there. Why? Why are you here? For, you know, you just are bored. You yeah. don't have a life outside of here. Go get a hobby. How do you handle that as a box owner and as a coach? So, first of all, let me just say that for us, uh, I know that, like, it seems like Seoul is this, like, big competitive gym, and, and, and we have all these strong weightlifters and games-level CrossFitters, regional-level CrossFitters and all that. And that is true, but that is not the 99% of my gym. The, the 99% of my gym are teachers, housewives, moms and pops, normal people. Those are the people that pay the bills. Um, and, and we don't push, ask anything of those people to compete or, or we don't talk about regionals or the games with them at all in any cool. way, shape, or form. It has nothing to do with their progress as a client, as a fitness client. Um, it's, it's just very far from their reality, you know? Um, so, with all that being said, with our competition demographic, for us it starts all at the beginning with like a, a very serious goals assessment. Um, we talk about what their goals are, and, and, and when some people throw out their CrossFit Games goals, we go, okay, well, we know exactly what it takes to get there. I've coached individuals, I've coached masters, I've coached team athletes to the games uh, multiple times, and this is what it's going to take to get there. Is your lifestyle consistent with this? Do you drink alcohol? Do you party on the weekends? What's your diet like? How many hours are you willing to put in? How much recovery are you willing to put in? Are you willing to prioritize this over a relationship level, over a job, over school, 
over this, over that? Are you willing to make financial sacrifices? Are you willing to live close to the gym? Will you put in six hours or more a day? Like, those are the conversations that we have with people. And to be honest, very quickly, people start to catch on like, well, fuck. (laughs) (laughs) It's not that easy? No, it's not that easy. And there's a reason why there's a select group of, of, of games athletes that we hear repeating year after year after year because it is not easy to get there. It, 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 it takes a lot of work, and it's not just can you do a lot of kipping pull-ups. There's a lot more to it than that, you know? So um, I will say this. When, when Sam came down and lived with us for the year and a half that she did, really opened a lot of my athletes' eyes to really what it takes because no one had ever seen any kind of dedication to training like that ever. And when people saw that, they, it, it was an eye-opener for, for many, even people that weren't even members of, of my gym. They would come and see her train and come see the, the time that she put in, and, and she runs circles around people. And that is the kind of dedication that it takes, you know? So, yeah, I mean, it's a full-time job. At the end of the day. It's, it's beyond a full-time job. Yeah. You know? Because, yeah, full-time job, you punch out at 5 p.m. Yeah. I mean, if, if you take into consideration, like, the amount of recovery that these guys do, and they'll get massaged twice a week, and they'll get soft tissue work twice a week, and they'll see a chiropractor, and they'll all the ROMWADs and the supplementation, you know, like being in bed by 8.30 every night, waking up at 5 a.m., it, it, it is beyond a full-time job. It, for me, it's the hardest thing I've ever seen anybody do. And and while the money seems very lucrative, it's still not. The money's lucrative for the point zero five percent. Yeah. You know, I I've literally had I've, I've been very close to top games finishers that struggle, that have to rely on sponsorship money, that have to rely on going to do lesser competitions that they don't want to do to win some money to get podium matches or whatever. Um, it 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 is not not easy at all. Yeah. yeah, I had a buddy on they, from the Milford team a couple years ago. They came in second place. He was living in his like grandparents' basement. Yeah. yeah. I mean, look, for, for us, we, we won the Atlantic Regional. We finished first place. Um, and even after that, we still had to do all of our own fundraising to get to the games. You know, we had a team of six people and myself. And I wanted to get them out there at least 10 days before to train and to get used to the environment and to learn where the Whole Foods is and to time our trip from the hotel to, to, uh, to Carson and, and, and just kind of acclimate ourselves. And that fundraising was, was gnarly. Thank God Progenics came in and, and they helped us. But besides them, we did all of our fundraising ourselves. And that was tough. And to be honest, we went out there and lost a lot of money. Yeah, I mean, that was eye-opening just to hear. And for those listening, he said 10 days. I mean, that's 10 days that probably, I don't know exactly who's on your team, but I assume half of them have real jobs. They had to take time off of work. They had to, you know, pay for a hotel. Like you said, have a rental car, eat a shit ton of food if they're games athletes. That's crazy. And that's that's like for a $30,000 prize split amongst at least six, if not including you, seven people. Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm... this is absolutely a labor of love, and, and there's no part about financial gain. That, that is not why we do this at all. The financial gain, that's what we do with our gym. That's what we do with our clients to make our gym better, to 
elevate their level of fitness and try to bring people in the door. And it is a very important part of life. I don't do anything else. I don't have a side job. All I do is the gym, you know. But when it comes to, to competition, to be honest, it, it, in many ways, it's a distraction, and we lose money on it. But it's a labor of love, dude. There's really no other way to describe it. You know, it's 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 something that that we want to do. It's not something that we have to do. It's something that we want to do. I, I get this question a lot. What's your answer to how do you run a successful box? Um, you don't have to dive I, into this huge thing, but you know, yeah. you get this like you run a successful box. You make it look easy to everybody else, and then someone's like, "Cool, I want to open a box." How, well, how do you make it successful? Yeah, I, I, there's there's two things that I would say. Number one is you have to be. 100% all in, 100% all in, all the chips have to be pushed in, I have, uh, especially in the days of like 2011 to 2013, I had a lot of buddies that were opening gyms that like had side jobs and firefighters and cops and a group of firefighters would get together and open a box or whatever, um, you know, I had a buddy that was an attorney that wanted to open a gym. And their result was consistent with that. They put in 50% of the time, they got 50% of the result, and most of them have closed. Mm -hmm. you know? We've seen that um, a lot these days. Yeah, a lot, a lot of gyms are closing. It, it, boxes are closing, the community is not shrinking though, because once people get a dose of CrossFit, they're gonna continue CrossFitting, as long as they had an opportunity to do it with, in a good program. Yeah, it's great for your box. Yeah. It is. It's, it's great not just for my box, but it's great for the boxes with the owners that are 100% all in. And what I mean by that is like an, having an owner coach. I don't really know too much about or believe in, in, the, in the CEO type CrossFit gym owner. I own a, I own a garage style gym and I'm a coach, and I'm an owner, and I'm 100% all in. I know my clients' names, I know everything about them, I spend time with them on the floor, whether they're athletes or clients, everyone in between. Everything I do revolves around me being a dad and me owning my gym, that's it. I don't do anything else. And throwing 280 overhead. And that, yeah. <laughs> so that's, that's the one thing, so like the 100% all in attitude. And then secondly is having health. You know, um, who are your greatest? I mean, you have people you might recognize Sean Valis, uh, Valis, and I said from your box. You know, crazy. He's actually going to be here this weekend at the yep. gymnastics seminar. I mean, amazing athlete, amazing coach. Who, what are who are some of your other you know assets that you couldn't run the box without? Yes. So I'll start with my brother and your wife. We'll throw your wife in there just in case you forget. Don't want to get in trouble. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'll. I'll, uh, I'll... I'll start with my brother for sure. My brother is our office manager. Um, he's like the guy behind the scenes, and if it wasn't for him, we wouldn't be able to do a lot of these other shiny, cool things that we do with athletes. Secondly is our general manager. Her name's Araceli Santos. Um, the team of, of the two of them, of Araceli and my brother, again, they make it possible for us to be able to go out and spend time with games athletes, with regional-level athletes. Um, there was a time when I tried to do everything, and I wanted to run the gym, I wanted to teach all the classes, and then I wanted to start coaching athletes and develop an online program, and yada, 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 yada. None of that would be possible without good help, you know? And then after those two, there's our long list of coaches. We have a list of coaches, very dedicated, 
coaches that really make everything possible for us, that are the lifeblood of our of our program. You know? so, so people listening, you got to be 100% in, which is, you know, my number one is something Coach Glassman said, chase excellence. Yeah. I think we're kind of, you know, synonymous with, you know, be 100% in and have a solid team. Yep. All right, last topic for you, tattoos. Hmm. Where, where's the go-to place in Miami? Where are you getting inked? Ocho Placas. Ocho, oh, say it again. Ocho. Ocho. Yeah. Ocho Placas. And now you're a big fan of a looks like American traditional. Yeah. And that's kind of the uh, theme that you got going on too at the bottom. You know, a lot of your banners from all the competitions have a little. Where, where'd that? Tell me about where tattoos started in your life. Um, I started getting tattooed when I was 17. Huge mistake. I don't recommend anybody starts getting why, tattooed. Why was it a mistake? Just crappy tattoo or a girl's name yeah, on dude. your hip? Well, <laughs> I mean, first of all, how many things are... How much does your opinion on life change from when you're 16 to when you're an adult? I Quite considered a, a Tasmanian devil tattoo when I was about 17. <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> I'm jealous. I wish I had a Tasmanian devil tattoo when I was 17. Um... No, but also, anybody that's going to touch a child with a tattoo machine sucks. So you're going you're gonna to end up with a shitty tattoo. Um, even if, with, if you're with a parent, just about anybody that's going to be willing to tattoo a kid, is anyone that's going to waste their time on that's going to suck. So you're going to end up with a shitty tattoo. I'm a huge advocate of continuing to get tattoos. I'm very, very heavily tattooed. I get tattooed regularly, but uh, I don't think kids should get tattoos. No way. So... What was it? What was your what was your first tattoo? It was a girl sitting in a martini glass. <laughs> you know, it's a classic. I, I've seen it. It before. is classic. It yeah. is. It's it's actually uh, the original. The original drawing, I think, comes from an Ed Hardy flash set. So it is super super classic, but it's done so poorly. But maybe it's better than a Tasmanian Devil tattoo. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> and what's your most recent? Uh. My most recent, I'm working on a really big back piece right now. It's a, it's a tiger and a snake and with a bunch of roses around it. So my buddy at that shop, Ultra Placas, Javi Betancourt, is working on this big back piece now. All right. I love American traditional, and that's my goal is to get some. So I'll have to hit you up when, when the time is right. And Yeah, uh, and, and dude, honestly, you travel a lot. You know, when I was traveling a lot, I stopping to get tattoos is huge, man, so... Yeah. Well, what space do you have left other than your face? My neck. Is that new, that discipline tattoo? No, it's, I've had that for about a year and a half. Right. Um, my neck is empty, and my one of my butt cheeks is empty. <laughs> That's pretty much it. Everything else is taken. All right. Well, yeah. I mean, we've run the gamut. Punk rock to tattoos to box ownership. Anything, yeah. working, you know, people that are listening, whether... I don't know if you do remote programming or anything that yeah. any way people can contact you or your box. What is it? And then I'll add it to the to the notes. Um, you can check out our online blog where we put uh, we put a free program up there. And we also do uh, individualized and small group open prep everywhere in between weightlifting, powerlifting, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. It's uh, www.teamsoultraining.com. Cool. And then just find me on Instagram, Danny X Soul. Just send me a message. I do. I try to do as best as I can at responding to people in a timely manner. So just hit me up. Yeah, and so many people. Like every day, I'm seeing more people 
somehow linked to you. Like I said, I didn't know Leah. Is Leah training at the bottom? I met Leah when she was in uh, Puerto Rico, and now she, I think she lives in like Lakeland or something. Yeah, yeah. yeah Leah and Jordan live in Lakeland, and we coach them. So, uh, like I said before, we have a powerlifting program and a weightlifting program, and she kind of tr- she messes around with both. So we coach her in weightlifting and powerlifting. Uh, her girlfriend, Jordan, uh, we train her in CrossFit. And, uh, yeah. Hey, let me ask you this. And it's not because Leah, it just popped into my mind. I, I've seen this trend over the years. Tell me if it's just something I've created or you agree. Men and women alike, when they realize how hard CrossFit is, they go into powerlifting or Olympic lifting or strongman. Do you see yeah. that? Tra- have you seen that before? Yeah, for sure. I mean, look. Here's what is cool about CrossFit. CrossFit incorporates many different facets and, and aspects of fitness. So it's a big combination of a ton of different kinds of activities and fitness. And what I always tell people when they come to the gym and they feel frustrated, they're like, man, I'm so bad at this shit. I tell them, be patient because there's going to be something that you're going to enjoy doing. It might be rowing. It might be snatch and clean and jerk. It might be deadlift, bench, and squat. It could be lifting awkward objects. It could be running. It could be the air bike. It could be bodyweight exercises. Everyone will have a bone thrown at them at some point. And I think if once certain people show an interest to really specialize in something, I think that's awesome. You know, I. With that being said, I believe in a very athletic kind of lifting and an athletic kind of powerlifting. And, and, and I think people who specialize in those things should also still condition and mess around with some CrossFit as well. You know what I mean? Absolutely. Um, You're saying it a yeah. little nicer. You're saying it a little nicer because, you know, I think, look, not to take anything, there's some amazing lifters. And if that's your sport and you're really good and you're trying to make it to the American Open, national level, whatever, cool. But over the years when I was a box owner, I would see people that would decide, well, rather than cleaning up my diet and dropping 30 pounds, I'll just start only lifting stones. Yeah, you no, know? fuck that. Yeah. I don't like that. So I've, that... I've seen that over the years, and, and, I, and I agree. It's because, you know, if you find something, I just love benching, squatting, and deadlifting, cool. I love snatching, great. But don't do it because the rest is hard. Correct. No, I agree with that 100%. I mean, look, like the... the... The way I train, I do bench, squat, deadlift, snatch, clean and jerk, and crossfit. I I practice all of that and everything in between. I don't specialize in anything at all. But I do really like the barbell. I do really like the lift. So um, I just make sure I prioritize my time evenly. But yeah, I've especially at our gym, we see people teeter on the on the edge of like, eh, I'm gonna quit crossfit and go do this thing because it just seems easier. Let me tell you something about training Olympic weightlifting. You might think it's easier. I think it's way more challenging than CrossFit because you're practicing two things. Mm-hmm. You need to be very mentally strong to be all in and train two sessions a day in two exercises. That is not easy. So it, it, it's, it, it's a whole different element. It's a whole different curveball as far as when you're going to dedicate yourself something to the sport of Olympic weightlifting. There's people who will literally train not quite six, but four, four and a half hours a day doing two exercises. That's That's, not it is crazy when you put it that way. Yeah. What, what programming do you program for yourself? Um, I follow our basic gym programming. So what I'll do is like on one day I'll snatch, take a class. 
Next day, I'll squat, take a class. The day after, I'll bench, take a class. The day after, I'll deadlift, take a class. And, like, actually take a class. Yeah, yeah, yeah. See, yeah, that's something that. neither of us said. Like, that shit gets overlooked. Yeah. At, like, how can you tell 100, 200 people to do what you're doing if you're not doing it? No, I, I take, I would say, at least three to four group classes a week at our gym. Um, I will spend more time lifting than they do. So, like, I'll try to do a, a, an hour and a half, two-hour lifting session in the morning, work all day, and then jump into the 5.30 class at night to get my CrossFit in. And my class clients are very fit, um, especially at CrossFit, right? So at, like, a Helen, at a Fran, at a Karen, they will kick my ass. And I got news for you, too. They will run circles around some of my athletes as well. Because these people practice CrossFit. Right. They specialize in CrossFit. That's all they do. They don't do the hang snatch complex. They don't lift stones. They don't do these bike time trials and do all this. And they're stuff. fresh. Yeah, they're fresh. And all they do is CrossFit. So um, I'm even an advocate of some of my, my team guys, uh, my, my, my athletes, so to speak, jumping into classes sometimes as well. You know, look, look at a certain point, it's CrossFit, dude. It's it. Yeah. Depending on the skill level, it's just cardio. It's just conditioning. So, like, a workout, like for example, we did yesterday at the gym. Four, uh, it was four rounds, four hundred meter run, uh, fifteen box jump overs, thirty Russian kettlebell swings. Okay, no right? skill involved. None, none. If 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 you are in reasonable shape and it's very low skill level, all that is is an extra conditioning session. So you don't need to walk around saying, ah, I'm not going to do this class today. Like, no, dude, do the class. Compete with the community. Hang out with those dudes, and, you know, you'll get smoked, too. Oh, know? yeah. I mean, I probably train on average two hours a day, and when I'm either working on the weekend or dropping in at a box and only hitting a 30-minute workout, that's when I'm the most wrecked. Yeah. You know, I traveled a couple weeks ago, and I was working with James Hobart. We did two, you know, one workout a day, it took me about four days to recover simply because of intensity of training with other people. Yeah, 100%, man. I, I, I couldn't agree with you anymore. We, we, it, it's very challenging, but we try to have a good balance at our gym of, of both. I don't want to be an elitist gym. That's not, uh, that is not my intention ever. Um, but I still do want to have that like competition vibe at our gym as well. So it's it's really tough for us, but it takes a lot of work. But I think we found like a pretty nice balance between the two. Yeah, and speaking from a outside third party unbiased perspective, I think you're nailing it. You know, when I see I see so many boxes, you know, on social media, you guys are doing it right. It's very everything you've just discussed shines through. You know, I appreciate it, man. You really you really see it and. Uh, if I ever moved to Miami, that's and you know I've considered traveling there just because I know so many people in my Olympic lifting. I have a great coach programming for me, but I need help in my Olympic lifting, and uh, I would love to get out there at some point. Dude, you're you're always welcome, man. Our gym, like I said, we we're one of the few gyms in the area that doesn't close all day. We spend all day long there. You or anyone's more than welcome to come down. Alright, oh, gotta find out next time Leah's out there and uh, come hang out and uh, have a. Have a good session. Yeah, man, for sure. Well, I appreciate you being on. I'll post everything down here. You're, you're doing it right. We've 
we've covered probably the most topics I've ever done on a podcast, from from punk rock to tattoos to sobriety to owning a box. It doesn't get better than that. Cool, man. Thank you so much for being on, Danny. Thank you, bro.